exorcism. We're calling this program Demonic Warfare because that's exactly what exorcism is. It's, it's uh, we humans, we disciples of Christ, trying to expel the evil demons, the dark side, from people who have succumbed to, uh, some, by some mysterious way, to the powers of, of Satan's minions. And our guest today is Father James Labar. He is the chief exorcist of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome, Father. Well, thanks very much. Very glad to have you here today. You were on 2020, was it, um, a couple of years ago? Well, like in 1991, so it's more than a couple of years ago. It's been a while, but... but uh, that's when it all started. You're back on uh, national broadcast media today. In fact, uh, global, for that matter, we're heard uh, everywhere that has Internet or shortwave capability. And uh, you are going to be taking questions today about exorcism. You've been in the business now for about three years. Was it uh, Cardinal O'Connor there in New York who appointed you to the post? That's correct. About two, two and a half years ago, he appointed us. But prior to that, of course, I had been working in preparation for cases and such, while another priest from another diocese did the few cases we had of exorcism itself. Now, you were ordained in 1962. You've been examining cases since 1988, but like you said, it's only been in the last uh, two and a half years that you've been uh, actively doing it for the archdiocese. How many exorcisms did you perform last year? Well... Probably, I um, can't say exactly how many I did, but we have a team of five priests altogether. And, you know, the, the summary report at the end of the year showed that there were more than 25 that were done. No kidding, right there in New York? No, no, any place. Oh, any so, places. so you travel around the country and... Um, many places today don't have an exorcist, and uh, they know Cardinal O'Connor does, so guess what? Somebody calls and off I go. There you are. How many uh, bishops do you think in the United States have appointed exorcists? Well, that's kind of hard to say, too. At one point, prior to the um, change of canon law in 1983, every diocese was supposed to have an exorcist, and uh, it was a requirement of the diocesan bishop to appoint one. In the 1983 code that came through, um, it talks about appointing an exorcist, what to do and all that, but that requirement of every diocese must have one on hand immediately was no longer there. And because so many dioceses never had any cases, I think the you know the position went vacant in many, many dioceses, so that I think today, if there are a half dozen dioceses that have a, a officially appointed exorcist, uh, that would be a lot. Is demonic possession rare, Father? Demonic possession is actually quite rare um, but again relatively speaking you know what do we mean one out of 400 one out of 5,000 um, again those kind of numbers are kind of hard to say to, to look at but if we look at the fact that many people for example in any one year may get 60 or 70 requests right and out of that will come one or two um, situations that may merit an exorcism very good. Well, people are wondering what the phone number is to call you. It's 888-31-TRUTH. In the United States, that's a toll-free call. Call in right now to talk to Father James Labar. Father, the big question I guess I want to open with is, is real demonic possession and exorcism anything at all similar to that that we see in the movie The Exorcist from 20 years ago? Actually, it's very similar. The movie of 1973, 25 years actually now, um, was a very accurate and correct depiction of both possession and exorcism. Are you telling me that heads spin on these people? Um, that can happen. What uh, it is, however, is not the actual head spinning, but it's 
Um, they call it a psychic spin. And you've seen it probably a lot of times uh, and never realized it except the opposite way. When you're watching a figure skater swirl around on the ice, yes. you know, the body is twirling fast and it looks like the head is still just watching you. So it's sort of just the opposite of the head twirling around, the body's twirling around. But, you know, the action is so fast that it makes it look like her head is standing still while her body is twirling. Have you witnessed anybody ever levitate? Levitation coming up off the ground is a frequent sign of the demonic presence. I have never seen an actual full-blown levitation, but several times as we were doing exorcisms, the person sitting, being exorcised, sitting in a chair and people holding her down as, her, as she struggled, the chair actually rose off the ground and the people were holding her down into a chair that was floating in the air, maybe an inch or two off the ground, that's all. But uh, I have seen that myself. Do you ever tell these things to people and they just don't believe you? They think it's just too outrageous, too far-fetched? In the beginning, that used to be very true, but today, they're not so sure anymore. They're much more willing to listen, knowing that um, pictures like The Exorcist has been seen several times. Um, we had a program on 2020 some years ago, and I would say two or three times a year, I get a call from one media outlet or another to talk about the stuff. So, um, And the reason I do it is so that it comes to the attention of people, Catholic and non-Catholic, and they know that A, the devil exists, B, he tries to trouble people, and C, if he troubles people so much that he possesses them, there's a way out through what we call exorcism. Father, do you think that uh, people who might not believe in God will see evidence of real demons, and this might lead them to believe that maybe there is a God? If there are demons, then there is a God. Well, I think that's a, a very uh, astute statement, too, because um, it's often said that you can't believe in the devil if you don't believe in angels. You can't believe in either of them if you don't believe in the God who created them. So I think many, many times, and I've seen it, excuse me, and I've read about it in many, many cases of where people really didn't have any strong belief in God, but somehow or other either became oppressed or possessed themselves or had somebody they knew. Um, come into that condition, and from that then came a belief in, in true God. Uh, can you measure your success? I mean, do you have a success rate as an exorcist? Do you ever fail? Well, um, I hope not, but I think uh, more accurately and truthfully speaking, uh, an exorcism never fails. Sometimes it's incomplete. Sometimes the devils are so obstinate and disobedient they won't listen right away. Or other times, that's happened in, a, in some cases, that everything looked okay until the next day when all of a sudden they were back with more fury than ever and we had to go back and do it a second or third time. So how long does an average exorcism take? Well, to read the ritual, to pray the ritual once takes about 20 minutes. However, um, no exorcism that I've ever had, you know, took any less than a, you know, three, four hours. And many of them take two, three days. Some have taken weeks, and one case I'm working on has been in the hands of exorcists over the years for maybe 25, 30 years. So just how does a person become possessed, Father? Is it something that, uh, I mean, could it happen to me, or do I have to let it happen to me? Just what, what does it take? Well, I certainly hope it won't happen to you. Yeah, me too. But um, it happens basically one of two ways. Either the devil wants someone for a specific purpose, and he initiates the... Um, possession to either bring somebody into uh, great fright or despair 
or uh, for some other reason that we don't know. Maybe that's somebody else actually and the person possessed is just a pawn. So who is most at risk? Most at risk are the people who open the door to evil through um, crime, sin, um, unholy practices, and or hatred of God. Are people who are involved in satanic cults more likely to be uh, uh, victims of possession? I think that's hard to say, too, because we hear about the people in satanic cults um, these days and so on because uh, the whole cult phenomenon is, you know, is not too far below the surface of, of daily headlines. But there are many, many people who never touch a satanic cult, but who make a pact with the devil, who give themselves over to evil and subsequently the devil, um, or who take part in voodoo um, and other, other things like that. If a person makes a pact with the devil, will God forgive them if they turn their life around? Absolutely. God will forgive anybody at any time who's sorry. And the, the difficulty is, when a person makes a pact with the devil, that the devil tries to convince them that it may never change, that they have no chance of going back and, and redeeming themselves. And that's where the idea comes sometimes that, you know, that uh, God doesn't forgive them. It's not that God doesn't forgive them, it's that they don't know enough to ask forgiveness. If some people are skeptical about exorcism and think it's a bunch of show and tell, can, is there evidence in the Bible where Jesus and the disciples exorcised demons themselves? Well, there are many, many instances in the, in the, in the gospel where and, you know, Jesus and the devil met, starting from the time he was praying in the desert, and he was tempted by the devil, down to uh, the time he meets various people along the way. And perhaps the most um, flamboyant of them is when he um, chases the devils out into, into a bunch of uh, swine on the hill, and, swine, and the devils asked to go there thinking that if they got out of the person, they would then be safe. Instead, the swine got so crazed that they ran off the brow of the hill into the sea and drowned, so the devils went back to hell anyway. Father, how do you determine whether a person is possessed or if they're just suffering from a mental disorder? And I, I must tell the listeners that you are the Catholic chaplain at the Hudson River Psychiatric Center, so you deal with a lot of people that could be a candidate for either way on that. Well, that's very true, too. And, you know, for the longest time, uh, people you know, 100, 200 years ago thought that anyone who uh, was possessed was crazy, or any, and vice versa, anybody who was crazy must be possessed. Um, but we know now, of course, that that's entirely different. There is, excuse me, there are very real mental illnesses that can masquerade under some of the signs and symptoms we know of from um, possession or oppression by the devil. What are some of those symptoms, Father? Well, um, hearing voices, of course, is one of them. Um, person tells you he hears the devil speaking. You don't really want to believe him for a number of reasons, not just because it's the devil, but the mere fact of hearing, you know, a creature, a creation of God that doesn't have a body speak to you, you know, sends chills up your spine from above for the most part. But also the um, the very fact that they, um, the the mind is in such, it has such power. Excuse me, has such capacity for so many things that many things that people thought were um, evil sent from God years ago now are seen to be just a malfunction of the mind or the brain or 
even the chemical imbalance. Our guest is Father James Labar, Chief Exorcist of the Archdiocese of New York, and we're talking to him today about exorcism. People really can fall to demonic possession, and Father works with these people to expel these demons by the authority of Jesus Christ. Father, um, in the movie The Exorcist, we saw the character of Linda Blair, or the actress Linda Blair portraying the character. She would speak in Latin or a foreign language that she did not understand. Is that a, a symptom or a sign that maybe somebody is possessed? Can they do that? Well, oftentimes, um, when there is an encounter between the devil, the exorcist, or even the ordinary person being afflicted, um, the devil will speak and, and the people will hear languages that the person never had any study or knowledge of. And uh, this is one of the signs that helps us to understand that there's a very strong possibility that possession exists. We have some callers patiently waiting. Thank you for holding. I would like to start with this email question that comes to us from Jim in Melbourne, Florida. Father, he writes, um, The teenager who shot several classmates in a prayer group several months ago in Paducah, Kentucky, described hearing voices of demons telling him to do it. Everyone took this as an indicator of a mental illness, uh, illness likely schizophrenia. Modern medicine uh, now knows that mental illnesses have physiological uh, causes. Do you think, Father, that there are cases like this where demonic forces may actually be responsible? Perhaps they torment some people who are already unstable. Well, I think the, you know, the answer briefly is yes and no. Um, but let me explain a little further. The, the uh, viciousness and the um, terrible situation that happened here where the teenager shot several classmates, to my mind at least, Know, cannot be explained by merely natural means. Yes, you could say the boy was, if this is true, the boy was angry, or the boy got, you know, frustrated. He was, and he knew how to play with guns, and so he took the guns. Yes. But as I recall that story, there was a little more to that. He wanted to do these things. It wasn't a case of doing them unwillingly. And when that happens, um, there's a very strong possibility that. You know, one or more evil spirits are actually influencing him. Whether they're actually possessing him or not is another matter because the demon, demons can speak to people even though they're not possessed. The Catholic Answers Live studio hotline is one 31 truth Father Labar, let's go ahead and uh, take some phone calls now. Let's go to Michigan first and say hi to Christine. Hello, Father. Good evening. Um, I was involved in Transcendental Meditation, and we did the levitation and all that. And when I came back to the church, I was trying to join the Third Order of Francis, and they told me that I was possessed by the devil and couldn't join their meetings until I had been to an exorcist in downtown Detroit. So I went to Father Felix and uh, a couple of times, but he got sick and couldn't continue. And I just want to know if um, what I can do next, and what should, what where can I go? Well, um. Well, I wouldn't want to say it over the live ear. If you contact me later, I can give you the name of some priest in the area that can help you. Christine, I'm going to put you on hold, and I'll have Mary the call screener get your phone number, and we'll contact you at home if that's all right with you. Oh, that would be fine. Thank okay, you. Okay, Christine, would you hold, please? Yes. Thanks. All right. Next, we'll go to Glenn in Michigan. Thanks for calling. Uh, yes, thanks for taking my call. The question I had uh, is this. If somebody is involved uh, with occult practices, and they would like to put a curse or a spell on somebody, uh, can they do that? Is that possible? Well, very um, simply, no. But what happens is 
Um, to put a curse on someone uh, is calling down evil on a person, place, or thing, asking God to do that. And uh, that, uh, you know, of course doesn't happen either. God doesn't do those kind of things. But very often the devil will step in and say, aha, here's a likely place I should be. And he sees that whatever evil is being called down is done. So it's... So, Father, when, at Mass, when you when you pronounce a blessing over the people at the end of the Mass, you're calling upon the grace of God over people. Right. Are you saying then that the only that people can't be cursed in a like manner? That's correct. Yes, because you know, not God can't curse them that way. People can put a curse on, but it's uh, if they call down evil on someone, it's not done in the name of God. It's done in the name of you know who. So, if Glenn is has a has an, an acquaintance who is in a Satan worship, let's say, and this person says, "I put a curse on you by the power of Satan." Should Glenn be afraid? I don't. I would say no, no, because again, if we have the Holy Spirit within us, as we do through baptism and strengthening and confirmation, you know, we're filled with the Spirit of God, and that's far more powerful than anything that the devil can do. Ninety percent of the effectiveness of curses and spells and witchcraft things and all this comes from the fear of the people, the individual person involved, that you know he's so that he or she is so vulnerable. That they only realize that with God all things are possible. And uh, you know, there's a, a scripture verse somewhere which quotation he, he eludes me at the moment, but says you know you can eat scorpions and things of this sort and you'll have no harm. Mm-hmm. Father, have you ever seen a, a case personally where? Somebody has become possessed, and there really is no evidence that they were opening themselves up to this. In other words, let's say, let's take, let's say, a 10 or 12-year-old young person who has no involvement with the occult. Is it possible for the devil to possess somebody without their having sort of invited it in some way? Uh, very much so. Oftentimes, the, de- the devil will um, choose someone to be possessed for the sake of getting someone else. And I think a, a very brief story would be in order here, if I can. Um, there was a, a bishop that I know that, when he knew that I was involved in these things, told me this little story of how when he was present at the Second Vatican Council, he got word that one of his priests who had wandered from the ministry was sick in a heart attack, with a heart attack in the hospital in Rome. So naturally he went over to see him, and he brought a secretary with him. And as he uh, approached the uh, floor where the, where the sick priest was uh, in, in bed, um, he went by the first room on the floor and there was a terrible screech. He looked in the room and there was a woman up on the ceiling. And What was she doing up there, Father? Well, um, looks like the devil put her there. But anyway, the, the bishop said, let's get out of here. And the secretary said, oh, good. Went down, took care of the priest, anointed him, uh, had him, for, you know, gave him confession, communion, and all the last rites. Prayed with him for a while, then when he fell asleep, he left. As he went by the room the second time, again, there was a loud noise, and sure enough, there was the girl up on the ceiling again. This time, the secretary said, let's get out of here, and the bishop said, uh-uh, not this time. So he went in and um, assessed the situation, and uh, one of the things you have to do in an exorcism is find out who, what devil is there and why he's there. And let's say, just for talking purposes here, the, the devil's name was the seducer, and he was out to do something. We didn't know, the bishop didn't know what. But at any rate, as this whole thing was going on, the bishop knew seven, six or seven language, different languages, and 
the girl was speaking in these languages. And uh, finally, in the middle of the thing, as he told me, all of a sudden he heard the, the voice say, Oh no, I have failed. The, the, the voice what do you mean? He says, That priest has gone to heaven. Oh my. And and then that gave the bishop the opportunity. So, then to do, sir, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to leave, depart from this woman, go to, to hell and be bound there forever, never to bother this person again. Out she went. The window went bang, 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 and she fell down off the. I mean, she came down off the ceiling and sat up and said, "What's going on?" Was she hurt? No, she wasn't hurt at all. Now, what happened there was the devil had chosen this person and uh, possessed, gave her a possession so that the people brought her to the hospital and did the devil see her? Was it a coincidence? Who knows? But anyway, he, he was placed on the, the first the room on the floor where this sick priest was. Yeah, and the bishop was going in there so that as he went by, the bishop being a very compassionate person would be tempted to spend time trying to exercise this woman when in fact the priest was dying and if he didn't get the sacraments, he would go to hell. Father, I got to ask you if the devil, if the demon is is thinking that it might come that he's going to be expelled out of this person, can he do something to harm the person physically? Can he cause her to jump out the window? Can he cause her to to slice her wrist, let's say, with a knife? The devil cannot cause the death of any person. What he does, what he can do sometimes, is cause a person to turn into despair, and that person really chooses. Uh, or, you know, well, as can be mentioned here, um, that person chooses to do something that they shouldn't do. But the devil cannot cause the person, force the person to do that. The person still has free will, whether he's possessed or not. Father, we call the devil Satan, but when you're dealing with these exorcisms, are there, could the devil have more than one identity? Do you, do you encounter the same devil more than once? Well, yes, I have. Um, Basically, what we have here is Satan is like the word people, right? It's not the proper name of that. The proper name is the devil, but Satan is um, personification of evil, and as such, um, anybody in hell is considered to be a Satan, more or less. No kidding. Um, you know, the the leader in in uh, in hell is Lucifer. So if a person dies and goes to hell, do they become a minion, so to speak? Are they sent to prowl the earth and try to torment us? Um, they can be. Um, there are several cases of exorcism um, being done where people have found, uh, where the exorcist has found not only um, evil spirits, but uh, the souls of the damned. Well, what about the girl? There's a girl in Iowa in 1929. Is there a case that you can tell us about there? Um, there's a very famous book written by, I think, a father Vogel, a pamphlet book called Begone Satan. And he spoke there of a case that happened in 1929 in Erling, Iowa, of a girl who was brought into the hospital and was discovered to be a demonic thing when the sister, who was a Catholic hospital, always had a habit down in the, in the kitchen of sprinkling the, the food with holy water before it was sent up to the floors. And as a nurse brought this food into the room, particular day, all of a sudden got upset and went all over the, the person. Well, the nurse thought she made a mistake and humbled, so she went and got another tray and came in and the second time, this time went all over the floor and all over her. Well, now there was total chaos, as you could imagine. And the nurse went sobbing downstairs and got a tray, another tray of food. But the system was gone by then and didn't bless it. 
up it came and brought in, and there was no problem at all. Was the demon ever identified? Well, uh, took 30 days, but yes, indeed. Um, in the <clears throat> this was the, the early case, and uh, anyway, the priest chaplain came by and saw the commotion and all that. And he went in the room. He happened to have one host left in his picks from the communion calls. He went in the room and was probably thrown on the other side of the room. The priest was thrown. Right. So he knew that he knew right away. So he went back to his office, put the blessed sacrament back in the in the tabernacle or whatever wherever he kept it. Came back to the room and entered the room without any problem whatsoever. So that was the beginning of that case. And that case took over 30 days by the time um, all the demons were were put out. And according to the book, there are at least 14 demons found. One of them was the damned soul of her own father who had tried to seduce her while they were still alive, and she refused. And he, he put a curse on her that she be uh, tormented forever. And he turned out to be one of the tormentors as well. Very interesting. Father James Labar is with us, Chief Exorcist for the Archdiocese of New York at one 31 truth Thanks very much for your patience. Tyler, hello. Welcome to the program. Hello. Tyler, you're on the air. Oh, thank you. Um, hello, Father. Hello. Um, I guess I have a technical question. I was wondering what sort of uh, training... Uh, one has to go through to be able to perform exorcisms, uh, what sort of qualifications they need to have. What are the, what are the qualifications, Father? Anything else? Uh, that's it? Oh, okay. Well, within the Catholic Church, the exorcist must be a priest, first of all. Um, secondly, he must uh, you know, have a thorough knowledge of what he's dealing with, and for that, it's either self-study or uh, attend a course. There aren't too many courses these days, however. And... Uh, and then be a person of mature um, age, of, of mature uh, spirituality, and I guess you might add also, though it's not written any place, not be afraid of what he's going to have to do. Father, when Pope Paul VI eliminated the minor orders to the uh, the priesthood several years ago, uh, that meant that the minor order of exorcist was eliminated. So, did this diminish the power of new priests to perform exorcisms? Not at all, because the the whole point of the minor orders in the beginning or I should say when they were established, was to spread out in um, oh, a didactic and also a um, time to utilize the various ministries, uh, or minor orders as they were called then. But the, all of them were really church-instituted, and the diaconate and the um, priesthood were the ones, or the bishopric, would say, were the ones instituted by Christ. So when a person is ordained to the priesthood, he receives all the powers necessary to be an exorcist, but the canon law tells us that the bishop must appoint that person, and if he should act without that appointment, then he's an error. Father, thanks. We'll be right back with more phone calls after this quick break. Father James Labar is our guest. We're talking about exorcism. People do get possessed by the devil, and we're talking about how he works at expelling these demons. Tyler, thanks for the call. More phone calls when we come back. take part in today's discussion, call now toll-free 1-888-31-TRUTH. That's 1-888-318-7884. We'll have more Catholic Answers live in a moment.
Have you ever thought about what might have become of you if you had never even heard about Jesus Christ? And what if your parents had not taught you the catechism? What if a friend had not explained the Bible to you? What if you weren't able to hear the Word of God at Mass or be inspired by hearing a homily that made sense, as though the priest were speaking specifically to you? Hearing about God and having it make sense doesn't always happen at the same time. That's why we at Catholic Answers Live feel very blessed to be on our unique mission. We work very hard to take the truths of the Catholic faith and explain them to you so that you can hear them, understand them, and then likewise teach them to others. Our radio ministry is very expensive. Please make a tax-deductible donation today by sending a gift to Catholic Answers, Radio Department, P.O. Box 17490, San Diego, California, 92177. Help others hear the Catholic faith with your financial support of Catholic Answers Live. Call now to speak with today's guests toll-free at 1-888-31-TRUTH. That's 1-888-318-7884. And now, more Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. This is a very interesting program. Father James Labar from the Archdiocese of New York, appointed by Cardinal O'Connor to be the chief exorcist for the Archdiocese. He's been at the Post for about three years now, and he's been examining cases of demonic possession for the last 10 years, and he's with us today to answer your questions. Father, we've talked a lot about, oh, demons and whatnot. What are the steps to decide if a person needs to be exercised? How do you determine if they are mentally unstable or if they really have a demon inside them? Well, one of the first things, of course, we look for is their, uh, if they have a direct aversion to anything spiritual, anything um, churching. For example, many of them will, in a way, want to go to Mass, will want to go even into a Protestant church, because uh, exorcism is not reserved just to Catholics, you know. And uh, so, and we deal with people of all faiths as well. The, um, but the three primary things that, that we look for is we, we make sure that a person is um, medically sound, they have no medical disease or maladies, and such as a tumor that might, you know, cause some strange things to happen. And we also look for a psychological evaluation and a psychiatric one, too, to make sure that if there are any psychological or psychiatric problems that can be treated, they do so before uh, we, we move into the spiritual. Father, you mentioned earlier about holy water and the Holy Eucharist. If you bring those into the room, does a possessed person have a reaction? Well, that would be what happens next after... Um, you know, the matter has been determined not to be a, a natural problem. We do a provocation. We try to see if um, the devil will react to um, some prayers and some actions. And the actions that we look for uh, primarily is what happens when the person comes in contact uh, with the holy water, which is, of course, always is blessed with a prayer, especially to keep evil away. And... 99 chances out of 100, the person is, if he's, he or she is sprinkled with the holy water, will react in, as if we're burning them with something hot. Other times, a provocation can take place by someone secretly, not even with the knowledge of the priest, uh, prepare a glass uh, of water, which is actually holy water, or perhaps a natural glass, and give that to the person to drink. And only that person will know whether or not it's been holy water or not. And again, if there is a possession or a high degree of oppression there, um, the person will, you know, 
not even drink the water, refuse, either refuse to drink the water or if they um, have a very adverse reaction if they try to drink it. Do they consider, does it, is it like a burning sensation to them if they touch it or drink it? That's generally what what happens. But sometimes they just won't touch it because they say that's, no, 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 get it away, get it away. Really? And uh, so they don't, sometimes don't even have to drink it. And uh, then the third thing that we often do is to bring the person into the presence of the Blessed Sacrament or bring the Blessed Sacrament into their presence. And if a person is truly possessed, that will be a very horrible experience. And if if they're moving into the church, they will not <coughs> they will not step into the church where the Blessed Sacrament is. For people listening that aren't familiar with what the Blessed Sacrament is, that is uh, consecrated bread that at Mass has been changed into the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so Father is saying that he'll bring that into the room and the, and the demon within the person will realize that Jesus is physically present in the room with him. Very fascinating, Father. Are you ready to take more phone calls? Sure. Let's go to one triple eight thirty one truth line 1, Tracy in California. Thank you so much for your patience. Hi. I was calling um, to ask a question about a book that I was reading called Hostage to the Devil by Malachi Martin. And I was just wondering, um, I've only read a couple of chapters, but it seems rather unbelievable. Um, and I was kind of wondering if you had read it or knew of him and what your thoughts were. Well, um... The answer is affirmative to both of those. I have read the book, and I know Maliki Martin. I've talked with him very much. And by the way, he needs your prayers right now because he's um, well into senior citizenhood and has had a stroke recently, so he's been kind of disabled. So he isn't into this kind of work anymore, as far as I know. Now, um, maybe he's, since the last message I got, maybe he's better. But anyway. Father, can we recommend that book for people, Hostage to the Devil? It's a good uh, explanation of... A um, number of cases that happened here and there in, the, in different parts of the country. Um, and yes, it can be recommended. No problem there. Do you know who publishes it, Boff Chance? We don't carry it here. It is Doubleday? Doubleday, yeah. So uh, Malachi Martin, Hostage to the Devil by Doubleday, is a, is a book that Father Labar thinks might uh, give you some insight on this. Yes, there are there's two good things about it. One is it, it uh, explains five cases of possession that happened in the 60, 1965 and 70 era, eras. And then in the back of the book is the actual ritual for exorcism. So you can actually see what the prayers of the priests are that uh, that are used to uh, expel the devil. Father, is demonic possession more likely to happen somewhere like in the jungles of the Dominican Republic, or is it just as common here in New York or in San Diego as it is anywhere else? Well, the devil can possess anybody at any place at any time. Um, it becomes more obvious in some of the less built-up areas of the world, for example, in Africa and some parts of South America, um, where people are very much more, super, perhaps more superstitious or more sensitive to the spiritual. And so they see these things right away. In um, the, the hustle and bustle of New York or Los Angeles or even San Diego society, you know, people are too busy to notice things a lot of times. And... Um, you know, perhaps the signs aren't seen as much. Is it possible that someone's walking around out there possessed and we don't even know it? It could very well be because a possessed person doesn't, uh, isn't a, you know, a raving maniac such as in, you know, we read in one part of the gospel. And it's more of, uh, you know, a, a hidden persuader, a hidden uh, a way of doing things. And the person possessed would only be, uh, would be only provoked if, uh, you know, somebody you know, threw holy water on them or 
if they happen to see something or um, in any of, in some way were challenged, um, perhaps even unknowingly by somebody. Father, if these demons are reacting so violently to the Holy Eucharist, why is it that when Jesus went up onto the top of the hill with the devil himself, they were able to sit there and chat? Well, because they did not, they knew um, that he was the Messiah, but they didn't know he was also the Son of God. And, you know, my basic answer would be God hid that from them. I see. Now they know, by oh, yeah. golly. Very much so now. Cecilia, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program with Father James Labar. Thank you. What's your question for us today? Um, my question is, I know of someone who pushes himself into the forefront of parish life, and yet um, in the, his childhood had a father who uh, was quite a bit into satanic cults and black masses, and as a child, this person was um, abused and tortured and almost killed sometimes in these ceremonies. And today, um, they carry with them, um, I don't know, it's almost like it's still alive to them, and the fathers, um, they're just a tormented person, and yet they push themselves into the forefront of church life and give lectures and things like that. And um, But really, the Mass might can hardly stand to be at Mass. Father, do you see a pattern there? Well, again, the um, the person who can hardly stand to be at mass may be the one that is still uh, you know, severely oppressed or even possessed by by the demons. The uh, fact that a person was in a satanic cult and left um, doesn't make them, you know, forever uh, be avoided. And they can do, um, you know, a lot of good things, and many of them want to because. If they grew up in a satanic cult, they never had a chance to do all these good things. Cecilia, thanks for calling. Thank you. Well, Father, I'm sorry, I think I cut you off. Were you about to make another no, point? No, I was just going to say, but you know, we must always not be too quick to misjudge people. Um, because if they're, you know, many people can be over-enthusiastic and be on fire with the love of God rather than the love of Satan. Well, let's take a call now from Shirley. I think she wants to follow up on that. Hi, Shirley. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling. Um, my question, I have a couple of them. Um, uh, Father John Harden, uh, he's a theologian, and uh, he says that we live in a pagan society that is possessed by the devil. And uh, I want to know what you, uh, I mean, are there degrees of possession? And Can the devil seduce a whole society, Father? Very, um, very much so. Um, doesn't do it very often, but, um, you know, there have been instances of, of tribes in Africa and South America. All tribes have been possessed. Um, there's a book um, called The Devils of Loudoun by Aldous Huxley uh, where he describes uh, the, it's a novel but based on a true story where a whole bunch of a whole convent of nuns seemed to be possessed. Turned out to be they weren't but I mean it seemed to be. And it was more of a, a you know, self-thinking possession than a real one. But they had a lot of trouble there. Shirley, what was question number two? Um, and then, uh, does a devil use a supernatural or a preternatural power? What do those words mean, Father? Well, in, in one respect, they both mean about the same thing. But we make a distinction. Supernatural things are those which pertain to God. Preternatural are the, the things that uh, you know are, are not... Uh, Theological in a sense. 
And so, uh, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned the way they did, a preternatural gift would have been freedom from sin, a freedom from death, rather. Um, supernatural gift would have been freedom from sin. Shirley, thanks for the call. Father, what's the difference between the uh, the occult and simply cult? Well, um, over the past 25 years or so, there have been a lot of uh, groups that have uh, manifested themselves with, with uh, charismatic leaders who attempt to attract uh, all attention to themselves, and they put themselves into uh, a leadership position and exercise mind control and manipulation upon the people. Um, and they're called cults because they, they develop a, a cultic following, and uh, and they maintain themselves in the, in the group in that way. The occult, however, comes from a different uh, root word, meaning hidden. And so the occult is a very hidden society. Um, in the 1970s, there were a lot of satanic worship or occult things going on that nobody ever knew of. So the the, the, uh, the trouble was, as the cults proliferated and and uh, became very a great notoriety in the country a few years ago, um, when people started to have an occult experience, they turned to people who knew something about cults. And uh, sometimes, you know, originally people didn't know the difference until they began to study. We've been talking a lot about demonic possession, Father, and off the air before the program, you were mentioning that there is a difference between possession and oppression. I think this might be a good time to follow up on that. Right, well... Hello? Hello. Oh. Possession and oppression. Right. I was getting an echo, so I thought you were still talking. <laughs> That's right. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, the, the devil attacks people in three ways. The first we're very familiar with and we can deal with very simply, and that's temptation. He wants us to do something we shouldn't or to omit something we should. And generally speaking, our own, the grace of God that we have within us, um, you know, puts those temptations out of the way, one way or the other. Either we do what we're supposed to or we commit a sin. But sometimes the devil will go on a little further, and he will begin to want to claim some people to be his own. And uh, he will do that sometimes by oppression or obsession, which basically means demons are overly influencing these people from the outside. And so things move around the room, um, hear strange noises, and um, maybe you know things get lost mysteriously and then reappear later on. Is that where, I'm sorry, is that where a person could be uh, mistaken to be delusional or schizophrenic? Sometimes, yes. And, uh, and that's why it's very important to know where the source of these things are coming from. Because there can be, uh, you know, mental, um, mental illness kind of things that cause the same thing. So oppression is torment from outside and right. possession is torment from right. within going outward. Right. And then a person will... Um, Excuse me. Some people can be actually possessed by the devil, where the devil takes over the operation of the mind and body of the person, but never the will. Well, that's an interesting point, because I was wondering if a person has any free will if they're under the influence of the devil, so to speak. They always have the free will. The problem is that sometimes it's um, you know, suspended, modified, or otherwise rendered inoperable. And that's one of the first things that has to be done in uh, trying to determine whether... It is true possession or oppression, is to find out if the person is in control of their life or not. The person who is possessed will really not know what's going on. And so we have to depend on a third person to, you know, let us know what's happening. 
Father James Labar is our guest today. He's from New York. Our number one affiliate today must be WCAR in Detroit because we've been getting a lot of great calls from Michigan. And Carrie, you are next. Hi, good evening. Thanks for holding. Thank you very much for taking my call. My pleasure. I have one question. Uh, that is that, excuse me, just I was assuming that a person cannot serve two masters. You may have just answered this question. How is it that a Christian could be possessed? Can a Christian be possessed, Father? A Christian can very much be possessed, but not as long as they're an active Christian. As long as a person has uh, the grace of God within them, the devil can't move in. But when the person moves to sin or crime or some other evil, you know, the grace of God, the active grace of God leaves them. And so there's an emptiness which the devil can fill very easily. So God is definitely much power, uh, much more powerful than the devil, and as long as we're in the state of grace and we are walking with Christ, then the devil cannot claim us in that way. Is that right. correct? He can tempt us, he can uh, oppress us, but he cannot possess us. How do children become possessed, Father? Children become possessed sometimes by the uh, actions of the parents, um, depending on how old the children are. Um, we've had several in uh, situations over the past few years where um, you had a colicky baby, perhaps, or you had a um, misbehaving child was brought to a, a psychic or a soothsayer or something, and um, you know to try to make them better and such. When in fact, it actually made it worse because um, they were inducing the the demons into people. Um, Terry, thanks so much for the call. Thank you. God bless. Next, we go to um, Scotland. Is, 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 is your, is your, uh, what's your name, sir? Uh, my name is Banos. Banos, thanks for calling, and you're calling from Europe. Yes, from Europe, and uh, my question is very simple. If the Pope and the Vatican recognize uh, demonic powers in the church, and uh, if also recognize and, uh, the exorcism into the church. Let me get this straight, uh, Banos. Does the Pope and the Vatican Council recognize demonic powers and exorcism? In other words, do they do they believe that there are demons that can possess people? Yes. Okay. Thanks for the call, Bonos. I'll hang you up so you don't uh, run up a really big phone bill there, okay? Okay. <laughs> Thanks for calling. All right, Father, there you have it. Uh, priests are exercising demons. Does the Pope know about this? Oh, very much so. As a matter of fact, you know, there have been several stories around, and I believe Cardinal Ratzinger himself has said so, I, although, you know, that's a thing I have in my mind, not before me on paper. But the Pope himself has performed exorcisms since he's been the Holy Father. I have not heard about this. No, not too many people have, but uh, one of our newspapers put it in, you know, a big story about it some years ago. And as I say, I believe in one of his books, Cardinal Ratzinger mentions it just in passing. Father, when you get called to another diocese to do an exorcism, do you pretty much slip in under, clo under closed doors and uh, not make a big deal about it? Does, does the press find out about this? Well, we hope they don't. Um, once in a while they do. But pretty much, you know, the world is busy enough today that unless it's a case of great notoriety or something where you're coming in to, you know, save the ship, so to speak, um, the press doesn't find out about things until uh, they're, they're over. I see. To Virginia we go. Hello, Barbara. Hello. Welcome. Hi. What's Hello, your question for us? Yes, please go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, hi, thank you for taking my call. I called to ask if um, schizophrenia or other mental illness like bipolar or manic depression or schizophrenia, in schizophrenia where people hear voices, are they listening to demon voices? Within the 
um, mental health field, there are many illnesses such as schizophrenia and others that um, where people hear voices and such. And uh, this most more than likely is not the devil speaking. This is uh, a result of um, whatever chemical imbalance or whatever is the cause of the, of the, the problem. Mm -hmm. However, sometimes the devil can make use of the mental illness to get his point across and get involved as well. And that's why, um, you know, I do work in the psychiatric hospital and I'm very aware of many of the psychiatric problems. And I tend always myself to look and try to um, ascertain that there is no problem. Sometimes I'm wrong, but I've never had a problem within the psychiatric center itself, by the way. Father, if a person's listening and they think that there might be concern to call an exorcist for somebody they know, who do they call? You. They call me? They call you, yeah. <laughs> okay. I will be taking, I will, I will personally come out and evaluate these. No, really, there are people out there that, that might have, have concern now after hearing this program. And I, you know, I just want to see if you were awake there. <laughs> I am, but, believe uh, me. The, you know, if, uh, if a person believes that they are tormented by the devil, the logical place to go first is their own pastor. To get the um, support of their own pastor in helping them go to their own bishop. And uh, if both of those fail, or for some reason the person doesn't want to do that, uh, uh, you can do as hundreds of other people have done, contact me in New York. Father, uh, would you like to give out that number for us? Well, the number which has an answering machine on it, and uh, because, as you might imagine, I'm not always at home, uh, is 914-471-2537. If you didn't get that right away, hold on for three minutes, and I'll tell it again at the end of the program, which we are uh, rapidly drawing to a close here. Let's go to Judy in Illinois now and uh, see what she has to say. Hi. I think you may have just answered my question. Oh, okay. But my question is about a relative who has become very involved with the use of a pendulum, and I guess I would consider it divination, and sort of has become obsessive-compulsive regarding the use of this, and I guess family members have noticed the personality change and the sort of lack of attending to duties as a husband and father. And he has refused help for this evaluation, so I guess I was calling for practical advice uh, as concerned people to sort of say, how does one approach someone who's refusing help? Can a layperson pray over someone who's bothered by demons, Father, to expel them? Um, lay people can indeed pray over the people, but they must never try to expel the demons. They can ask God to do that. That's what the deliverance is. But they may not. They should never um, try to expel the demons on their own because they may not be prepared for what can happen. Judy, did my follow-up question tie into what you asked? I think so. And I guess it's more if someone is refusing <laughs> to sort of have someone approach them about the problem. Practically speaking, you have prayer, and then besides sort of a formal commitment for psychiatric evaluation for it. Right. In most cases. As in everything else within the church, the, the individual person himself or herself must want the help, want to be forgiven, want to be released, want to be delivered, whatever it might be. Otherwise, you know, someone else is imposing a will on them that, um, you know, is not their own, and that's not right. That's Judy, thanks for the call, Judy. Father, we have about one more minute. Following up on Judy's question, you said lay people should not try to expel demons, and it made me think, turning back to the movie, The Exorcist, the priest called the demon out of the girl, and, it, and the demon took the priest. Is that one reason why pe lay people shouldn't do that? And is that a risk that you face when you're expelling demons? Well, um, first of all, the, um, that was a little bit of uh, cinema exaggeration. Ah. 
That did not happen in the real life case. Um, however, we are always warned that um, we should never take on the troubles of the devil from the other person, because the devil could jump right into us at that. So it so, can happen. It can happen, but it generally doesn't if the person is doing what they're supposed to do. But the primary reason is that um, lay people are not to expel the demons is because the church has reserved that to specially appointed priests who have been particularly chosen by their bishop. Father, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Could you pronounce a blessing over the listeners for us, if you would, please? Now may God bless you. May he keep you safe and protect you. May he shower his blessings upon you today, tomorrow, and always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father James Labar from the Archdiocese of New York, it's been a great pleasure having you on the air with us today. Thank you so much for answering our questions about demonic warfare and, and, being, and demonic possession. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. God bless you. And tomorrow on the program is James Aiken with us on another Open Forum Q&A. I'm Johnny Hocraft. Very glad to be back today. And I hope you got something out of this program. And uh, it certainly was interesting. And we do hope you'll call again with your questions on another program. We're Catholic Answers Live. God bless. You've been listening to Catholic Answers Live, a radio presentation of Catholic Answers based in San Diego, California. For more information on the outstanding apologetics and evangelization materials available from Catholic Answers, write to us at P.O. Box 17490, San Diego, California, 92177. Or call us toll-free at 1-888-291-8000. You'll find us on the World Wide Web at www.catholic.com. Catholic Answers Live is heard Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us again next time for more engaging Catholic talk radio on Catholic Answers Live. Thank you.